Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. We are continuing our For Everyone series by looking now at Matthew chapter 24. And now this is a really interesting chapter um, because of what Jesus ends up talking about during the chapter. We've had Jesus has been... um, Spending time in Jerusalem, he, he arrived in chapter 21. He's been being tested by uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And the previous chapter had a, a big long list of woes that he uh, kind of laid out against the Pharisees. And then he leaves the temple and, and this new discussion starts. So I just want to, I'm going to read a lot of text today um, and kind of intersplice some commentary as I'm reading the text. Uh, so that's kind of the approach that we're going to take through chapter 24. So let's just start with verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And so once again reestablishes here in the text that Jesus is in the temple area. And and he's heading to another area that he's going to, which uh, we find out in verse 3 is the Mount of Olives. Um, And then his disciples come up to him and they point out all the buildings in and around the temple. And this is pretty significant. Because at this point in time, the the temple that is there is the temple that was built by King Herod, sometimes referred to as Herod the Great. And this is an incredibly impressive structure. It has gigantic stones that make up the Temple Mount, which are still in existence today. Uh, The temple no longer stands, but the Temple Mount does. Uh, The Temple Mount is essentially the gigantic platform that Herod built for his massive, impressive temple to stand on. And so the disciples are simply appreciating the buildings that are there and and the impressive stonework and the gigantic stones. And who knows exactly what they're uh, saying about those, but they call Jesus' attention to this. And his response is this, start verse 2 now. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So this is the context of the conversation that happens throughout the rest of this chapter and actually continues on as part of Jesus' teaching in chapter 25 as well. They've just finished looking at these impressive buildings in and around the temple, and Jesus says, not one stone here will be left on another, everyone will be thrown down. So we're in the context of talking about essentially the destruction of the temple, an event that ends up happening uh, in AD 70 when the Romans come in and and um, quash a Jewish revolt in Jerusalem and do so and enact punishment on the Jews by destroying their temple, which common practice, you defeat a group, you usually would find a way to mock their God and saying, your God's not as powerful as our God will show that not only have we defeated you in battle, but we'll destroy your your temple as well. so, so that's kind of the image that the Romans are, are doing when they decide to show up and, and quash the, the rebellion. Um, they destroy the temple. Um, so it's essentially, uh, and, and the reason I'm kind of pointing to this extra is because this whole chapter is often used to talk about the end of the world. That it's some kind of big prophecy that Jesus makes about what's going to happen that leads up to or signifies the end of the world. But nowhere in this conversation, we're going to get to the comment that the disciples, the next question the disciples get to in verse 3, but I 
say that nowhere in this conversation is Jesus talking about the end of the world. He's primarily talking about the destruction of the temple that happens pretty relatively soon, within a generation after Jesus' death. And so I think it's important for us to kind of start looking at the rest of this chapter in that vein. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Also, by the way, to the Jews, um, it, destroying the temple of God would very much equate to the end of their world. I mean, think about it. This is the God that saved you out of Egypt. This is the God that has done so much for you. And yet these Romans are able to come in and just simply take down the temple, pile the stones and throw them off the Temple Mount. And those, those very same stones are also in place today next to the Temple Mount, the Stones of Destruction, um, where, the, where the temple was destroyed and thrown down. And, and so that's one of the things that happens in Rome. And for the Jews, again, I, I think this would be pretty much akin to the end of the world. Because this oppress, oppressive regime that's been ruling over you, that you're maybe thinking there's some sort of Messiah or some sort of king of the light of David that's going to come and kick out the Romans. That's your hope. Um, that's, you know, God is going to come save us once again like he has in all those times past. And instead of that happening, this grand, majestic temple is destroyed. Something to think about. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And now I want to preface this by saying, what did the, what do the disciples mean by the end of the age? Because usually when we hear that expression, we think of the end of the world, the end of time, the end of ends. But the disciples had a specific idea in mind when they said the end of the age. Because in for the most part, the, the most widely held view of eschatology, which is a fancy word for the study of the end of the world is a, what's known as a two-part eschatology in Judaism. That essentially there is the age that is now, and there's an event that's going to happen where God is going to show up, which many would point to as the coming of the Messiah, and that would usher in the age to come, which is the second age, which is when God makes everything right, restores everything, makes everything as it's supposed to be, and there's going to be like, you know, all the oppressors are going to be driven out. They're all going to be taken care of. The Jews are going to be installed to the rightful place in the land that God had given them. And it's all going to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and all those awesome things from that point on. But Jesus, uh, when he speaks, um, when he teaches, the way he lives his life, the thing that I think he's trying to help, one of the things that he's trying to help his disciples understand is that there's a three-part eschatology. There's the first part, the world as as it was, as it is, and then Jesus shows up and ushers in this in-between time where he's brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, and the kingdom of heaven is invading earth, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's moving, but it's still not yet the age that's come where everything is made right because there's an in-between time. Now, if we were to take that viewpoint, we would say that what we're living in now is that in-between time, because Jesus has come, but the age to come has not yet been ushered in. Everything hasn't been made right yet. And, and the thing about the three-part eschatology that I believe Jesus 
ascribes to and I ascribe to too because I'm pretty much in the camp of listen and follow what Jesus says um, is that there's a lot of mixture in that in-between age and there's a lot of things that that are still present there's a lot of evil that's still present but there's good that's still present and and if we have the thing about living in this age is that we have a responsibility is to be the people who are helping usher in the kingdom of heaven we are to already be citizens of the kingdom of heaven but then our role and our task is to spread the kingdom of heaven and to usher all of that in so that's our role in the current age the blended age, the mixed time before the age that is to come. So Jesus answers his disciples, saying, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come into my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see, it to, see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. By the way, um, I do happen to have a degree in history, but you don't have to have a degree in history to know that the world looked like that at the time of Jesus. All those things were going on. The world has looked like that after the time of Jesus. The world looks like that now. These kind of things that Jesus has described, if we were to take these all completely literally, these are things that have been happening throughout human history and they will continue to happen. Don't try to take your current things that are happening in your world and say, well, it must be the end of the world now because look at all these things that are happening. If you're using this, and again, I don't even believe that Jesus is using this to say the like actual final end of the world, but he's talking mostly about the destruction in Jerusalem that happens in AD 70. These are all things that are happening all the time. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me happens in the first couple decades for those disciples at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other started happening immediately after jesus death and resurrection even after jesus came back there were a lot of people who went yeah but i still don't know if i can grasp onto this Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The thing about verse 14, it talks about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven being preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. I think that actually did happen before the destruction of the temple. But the key to that is their understanding of the whole world was a lot smaller than ours is currently. They didn't know about North America. They didn't know much about Asia. Alexander the Great had been there, done some conquering, tried to come back. But there's still a lot that they have to know about the wide scope of what the world is. But I think they started preaching the gospel in the whole world as they knew it. It's just that the world was much bigger than that. And they still have that to learn. And there's still more preaching of the gospel that we have to do. 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes des desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, 
Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Right within there, quote, directly from Daniel is even attributed to Daniel, which is something that the rabbis tend to not do. They want the disciples to do their own homework. But here Jesus is like, just so it's clear, this is in Daniel. It's possible that Matthew had added that later because Matthew wanted to clarify and be like, I know all this stuff sounds like crazy doom and gloom, but right now we're kind of quoting prophets here. So pay attention to that. That's important. Think about what happened in Daniel and think about that storyline and all the things that, that those prophecies were talking about. Verse 17, let no one on the housetop Go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress and equaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Really emphasizing that this destruction, this quote-unquote end of the age, all these things that are going to occur... No one's going to really be able to prepare for it. You just kind of have to be prepared because it'll come when it comes. These are things that catch people off guard. So you need to be prepared in the ways that you can be prepared. We'll get to that. If those days had not been cut short, this is verse 22, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. This is a way to be prepared. Of to know truly who Christ is so that you will not be deceived by others who are trying to say that they are him. 26, so if anyone tells you, yeah, if so, if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whenever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That's a quote from Isaiah 13, and also um, found in Isaiah 34. Again, quoting prophets to say these guys knew what this kind of time would look like and, and not saying that they were prophesying of the end of the world. Because sometimes we do that. We, we go back and we take this and say, well, Jesus must have been saying all these things about the end of the world. And since he's quoting Daniel and Isaiah, Daniel and Isaiah must have also been talking about the end of the world. No, they were talking about the things that God was doing in and among the people at that time and what it looked like and what it felt like. Sometimes they used metaphor. It wasn't necessarily meant to always be considered as a literal thing that was going to happen. Sometimes it's just referring to metaphorically, this is what it looks like when people do these things. This is what happens to the earth and the world when people are like this. That's the kind of stuff Isaiah and Daniel talked about Jesus is saying same kind of stuff is still happening now guys the things that we're doing the things that people are doing to one another makes things look this bleak and the world looks this terrible pay attention to what's going on Verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. I maybe have mentioned this before, but that phrase of the four winds, at, 
adds the idea of like the four points of the compass from all across the earth scattered everywhere. The cool thing about this passage is the number four is generally used of Gentiles, not Jews. And here he's talking about his elect. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you may think that you're the elect because you're Jewish, but he's going to gather the elect from the four winds from across the whole earth. God's people are spread out everywhere, even places you don't even know of yet. That's what God's doing. That's who he will call. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. The main clue, I think, that Jesus is talking about destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and not the end, end of the world because lots of generations have passed away and these things haven't occurred if we're talking about the end of the world. But pretty much all those things had happened for, with AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, which is kind of a way of saying, listen to this, guys, pay attention to it. Keep it in your hearts. 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, Noah reference is like, Noah was just told to build the ark. He didn't necessarily know when it was going to rain. He was prepared for it. And so his family was able to be saved and get in the earth. But the rest of the world, it just suddenly started raining. And then they didn't know what to do or where to turn. I also want you to keep in mind the, the story of Noah. He's going to say some more things about it, but... From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Took them all away. Not the people in the ark, the people outside of the ark. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. The reason that I wanted to emphasize and why I repeated with the flood came and took them all away is that the ones who were taken away by the flood were the wicked. There's this theology that goes around talking about the people that will be left behind. And, and again, I don't even think Jesus is talking about that time frame, end of the world stuff. But even if he were, you're missing something if you think only the good people will be taken away and they won't have to deal with stuff. Because everywhere in scripture that it talks about people being taken away, and here, every reference that Jesus has, he's coming from the standpoint of Noah and the flood. He talks about the wicked people, that people that are not Noah and his family, and how they are taken away when the floods come. And so if there's people that are out in the field and one of them is taken away, it's going to be the wicked one who's taken away. And if there's two women that are grinding with a handmill, if, the one, if one is taken away, it's the wicked one that's taken away. I do want to say this really quick, key phrase, you want to be left behind. What Jesus is talking about here is perseverance. Through all the things that are going on in the world, we are expected, we are called to persevere, to continue on, to keep moving, keep walking, keep saying and telling people what the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is.
Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, who put him in charge of all his possessions? But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This final thing is, Jesus is saying, you don't know when the hour is coming. You don't know when all of this is going to happen, but you need to be prepared. And how do you be prepared? You be the good servant who takes care of his master's people. Jesus says right here, if we want to be prepared for whatever is coming, whatever type of destruction it is, and, and I'll even extend this and say whether it's the destruction of Jerusalem or the end destruction of all things, whatever you think that looks like, the way that you are prepared is by taking care of God's people. And who are God's people? Well, I think they're everyone. That's the reason we call this the For Everyone series. God loves everyone. God wants us to take care of everyone. He wants us to be feeding the hungry. He wants us to be helping those who do not have homes to have homes so they can have a place to sleep. Take care of people. That's what it looks like to be a good servant. That's what it looks like to be prepared for when God shows up. The next chapter is going to be a couple different parables that I think just do a really awesome job of further illustrating all the points that Jesus makes in chapter 24. And just uh, in case you were missing it, I'm going to give you a really quick summary of that text because there was a lot there. But I think essentially this is what Jesus is saying. You're going to hear rumors of the end and false messiahs. Don't believe it. The world is going to get crazy, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. All of this is going to have to happen, and you will have to persevere. You're going to have to be ready, and being ready means taking care of God's people. That, I believe, is the essence of Matthew 24. Now tune in next time to hear some more about how that looks like, what's going down with that, and maybe even have that dug into in more depth when we look through Matthew chapter 25 and the parables that Jesus uses to continue to teach his disciples from those couple questions they asked at the beginning. When is all this going to happen? How are we going to know of the coming of the end of the age? Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.